Hello, listeners, and welcome to the second episode of Perspectives Conversations with Elders. Today, it's my pleasure to host Dr. James Vick on the show. Dr. Vick has spent the past 50 years at the University of Texas at Austin in various teaching and leadership roles, including mathematics professor, associate dean for the College of Natural Sciences, and later vice president of student affairs for 16 years. I met Dr. Vic three years ago when he instructed a seminar course at UT and was immediately interested in learning more about his career and personal journey. To start, Dr. Vic, uh, please tell us about where you were born and how you grew up. Okay. I was born in 1942. Uh, I was born in a small town in Arkansas uh, named Hope, H-O-P-E, famous for also being... Bill Clinton's home uh, birthplace. Okay, uh, as I said, I was born in Hope, Arkansas, and I uh, grew up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, in my birth date, 1942, you realize that that is uh, World War II years. So my parents were moving around and because my father was in the military and uh, for the time in the war, he never was sent out of the country, but he trained uh, infantry soldiers in various places from Maryland to Oregon and Texas. Um, Did you have any brothers or sisters? Sorry. Did you have any brothers or sisters? Oh, yes. uh, I have a brother, one brother, who is older than I am, two years older. Um, we grew up very close, occasionally getting in a scuffle. But for the most part, we have been very close for uh, all the time that he's been uh, in the role of big brother to me. Um, we uh, moved back to Baton Rouge after the war, and I grew up in Baton Rouge. I uh, went to school at the lab school on the campus of LSU. Um, I, uh, that was the same school my brother had gone to ahead of me. So uh, we went to school together from first grade uh, for me, third grade for my brother. We were in, in school together from the time I started until we both graduated from LSU in the normal amount of time. He went to medical school, became a physician, a urologist, and uh, my mother was uh, at one time a teacher at the in the history department at LSU. She did not complete a PhD, but she was um, very close to it. Uh, when my brother came on the scene and uh, after that, uh, there was never a question of adding more children to the family. My brother uh, now lives in Louisiana he has three sons, and uh, 
expanded family from that. Uh, he practices medicine now in uh, the area of um, I guess you might say fighting the age fight. Uh, he's uh, uh, he's very uh, capable when it comes to uh, dealing with the uh, uh, the hazards of getting older, and uh, he's uh, he was doing so many things for his friends. He he got involved into making that his phys uh, his uh, medical role, and he's doing very well, as is his sons and their their families. Uh, I think I said before I I I my my wife is Stuart. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm jumping those. Uh, My wife is Nikki Valentine Vick. N Nikki is her first name. Uh, it's derived, it's a, uh, you might say a nickname, but it's derived from the fact that uh, her middle name is Nichols. And so uh, we were married in 1964 and uh, lived in Virginia when I was in grad school at the University of Virginia uh, for four years. Uh, we had two children in Charlottesville, uh, and then we moved to uh, Princeton for two years where I taught math in the University of Virginia, and then uh, we came to Austin and I joined the faculty of the University of Texas. What led you to study mathematics? Well, I think maybe the best explanation is very brief, and, it, and that is that I was good at it. I liked it. Uh, I, uh, I was in some competitions when I was in high school. My high school was at the uh, lab school, sometimes not called the lab school, but the university high school on the campus of LSU. Um, so you got a lot of exposure to being on a university campus, right. even as a high schooler. Very much so. Uh, when, I was in, when I was in the first grade, I could go from my classroom across the parade area to uh, the chemistry building without walking across the street and uh, my my father's lab and his office was right uh, within a block of where I was going to uh, elementary school for uh, quite a long time. Um, I, uh, I, I enjoyed mathematics a, a lot and I was lucky to get into a, uh, a program in my junior year of high school, that was uh, a response that the United States had to the Russian launch of Sputnik. And uh, there was a, a very fine program in 
natural from the National Science Foundation. Part of that program was math, part of it was physics, some physics, uh, some biology, and some chemistry. But for the f full summer between my junior and senior year in high school, I was uh, very involved with science and math through the NSF. And in another plan, another program I was involved in was when I was a sophomore at LSU as a math major. I was uh, invited into a program sponsored by NSF on uh, um, the program was on the, the discipline known as topology, which is like a very theoretical form of geometry. And uh, it turned out to be something that was very helpful for me as I moved through graduate school and became a faculty member. Can you distill for us what the essence of your research was? Uh, uh, the, say, say it again. Can you distill for us what the essence of your research questions was as a mathematician? Yeah. Well, there, there, there is a, a very abstract approach to uh, studying mathematical objects like the real numbers and curves and surfaces and uh, many things that uh, you are familiar with, but you may not know any of the theorems like parallel lines and geometry or the Pythagorean theorem for the angles and sides of a uh, right triangle. Um, but the, uh, the, the Topology that I studied in elementary, I mean, in in my second year at LSU in college, and then when I was in graduate school at the University of Virginia, and where I continue to do here, is a, a, an abstract approach to uh, what I would call mathematical concepts in uh, the, uh, say, the surfaces or um, the, the let's see, in my class, the way that the class was conducted, uh, it was a small class, the professor was uh, a, a fairly young faculty member and um, uh, what the professor would do would be to come in and give us definitions and to, and, and, and uh, definitions of, of uh, things like points and lines and um, other types of sets. Uh, once the professor gave those to us, we were to take them home and come back and prove them either true or false and uh, present our proofs. So it was a very challenging thing for, you know, trying to do something in a, in a new area that you're not familiar with, uh, where they, they're some fairly wild and uh, unusual kinds of examples and theorems 
uh, in applications. Um, so it, it, uh, it really gave me a chance to have to get up on my feet, go to the board, and prove something that I thought of uh, over the, the week before. And, uh, and I would be criticized by my friends and my colleagues in class. And the professor did not uh, help. You know, he he uh, might give you a hint or might ask you a question, but you, you had to present a rigorous proof. And that developed in all of us that were in this group. There were about 15. There were uh, things that we needed to, to be able to defend and the student, the fellow, our fellow students would ask hard questions. They didn't, they're not gonna accept something because I said it's true. They're gonna ask for a proof. And so uh, that was a, a very good experience from the point of view of learning a new area, but learning how to defend your proof and how you can convince someone who is skeptical that you have, in fact, proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that this was actually the case. Can you tell us about mentors who helped you along the way as you transitioned from your undergraduate studies to your graduate studies and then um, into the first years of your professorships? Yeah, yeah. I, I think I can trace a lot of it back to one professor who, had, when I was a freshman, I had a kind of an abstract course that was uh, what you might call a pure math course, where we did this thing that I just described with the uh, uh, taking a theorem that the professor had given to us and, and we developed the proof. Um, the professor that was my advisor taught the calculus sequence that I took, which was three semesters. And I was uh, uh, lucky to have a kind of a hard-nosed guy because I would defend what I did. And uh, and it's embarrassing if you don't have your proof all lined up. And, um, but he, he continued to be my advisor. He was actually uh, uh, a PhD from the University of Texas. His name was Pasquale Porcelli. And he was originally from Chicago. I'm sure back before that, his family was from Italy. And he was a very, uh, a very bright guy, but also uh, a, a very demanding kind of guy. And so as a way of protecting myself, I learned how to do proofs. And I, and I enjoyed being able to do that uh, because it's, uh, it's where you learn whether you're gonna be a mathematician or not. And the, 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 the class that I had stayed together 
and most of them all got PhDs. I think probably 80% of the class got PhDs, but they didn't get them in the same place. So a fair number of them left LSU and went to other places. After I finished my undergraduate degree at LSU, I went, I had a Woodrow Wilson Fellowship, went to graduate school when I went to the University of Virginia. And um, I did some teaching while I was there, but I also took some classes that were, were taught in the same method that I described. That's called the Moore Method, after Professor Moore, whose name is on this building, R.L. Moore. Um, so, uh, after my undergraduate, my graduate years at Virginia, there were four years. First two, I finished a master's degree and wrote a thesis. So I, I, I had one step, and then the next year, two years, I uh, became uh, a PhD. I, I, my advisor was the, you know, the other powerful person in my, my history, and that was Ed Floyd, Edwin Floyd, F-L-O-Y-D, who was a faculty member in topology at the University of Virginia. And he was, a, he was an amazing guy. And uh, I think he, 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 was, he was not the kind of uh, hard-nosed, uh, confrontational kind of thing that, you, that I saw in Porcelli. Uh, he was much more, uh, Floyd was much, much more diplomatic. He was an administrator, like I became an administrator. But he, his, his was in the, the academic area of the University of Virginia. Um, and um, I think that, that, that having done a good thesis as a, as a, as a the main requirement of my my uh, four years at Virginia, um, the valuable thing, one of the valuable things I got out of that was a connection between my advisors and faculty members at Princeton. And uh, they were topologists as well. So in the, uh, you know, looking, looking back at it as a, as a, a block of things, was that sequence of math in high school, math at the NSF program, then a topology program when I was a sophomore in college at LSU, and then um, a Woodrow Wilson Fellowship to go to grad school. All of those things just, I was so lucky to get there. Uh, and that was a time when uh, uh, there was a lot of attention being paid to math, physics, engineering, chemistry, and so on. Um, and I think a lot of it was motivated by, by the Sputnik launch. It was, I think, in 1957. Um, so, uh, after two years at Princeton, I knew that I wanted to find a permanent job kind of a job I had at Princeton was an instructorship uh, for, for those four semesters of, that I was there. 
Princeton became the first stop on your uh, instructing career Mm -hmm. in mathematics. You were there for four semesters and you had to develop courses for the first time. Can you explain what that process was like and um, how it set you up for teaching in the future? Yeah. Uh, Well, I was uh, teaching four courses a year uh, while I was at Princeton those two years. And one of the courses that I would be teaching would be somewhere in the calculus sequence. But then both years, I got a chance to explore a new area that I had not taught and I did not uh, uh, I did not have a foundation uh, at that point except I had taken some courses and uh, the courses were from people like Floyd and Porcelli along the way. Um, they were very valuable. But let, let me go to one specific example, and that was the second year I was at Princeton. Uh, I, I had done well in my first year of teaching, and I had a chance to teach a course that would normally be a graduate course in most Kansas. It was not a graduate course at Princeton, but the students that were there, were I would consider them to be graduate level students. They were very bright. So uh, what probably was one of the best things for my career was that I took the the course that went for a year uh, in my second year at Princeton and I uh, developed that into uh, a, a, a fairly lengthy set of ideas in topology that are called algebraic topology. And that turned out to be a very uh, valuable uh, thing to do because there there were a lot of people at that time that were studying algebraic topology. And the the course that I taught at Princeton that second year turned out to be uh, the form, the, the body of the course that I made into a book, and, uh, and there are a number of copies of it around here that I can see. But they were, uh, it was a great experience for me. Uh, the, the, the company that wanted to publish it and did publish it was Academic Press, and uh, they did a very good job with that. Then. After several years, it had, it had been used in a lot of places around the U.S. and abroad. When you came to UT in 1970, you were on a track to um, get tenure, but did you have any doubts about your career? I, I did very much have doubts, not so much that I wouldn't be successful, but uh, the, the real doubts that I had were whether I was going in the right direction. I, uh, I wanted to do something that would help people who were in need. And um, part of that came from 
my family. My grandfather, my mother's father, was a physician. He's the one who delivered me in Hope, Arkansas. And uh, I had been close to my all of my family, and uh, so there, there were there were there were people like my brother, a physician, uh, who um, did things treating illness, treating injuries, uh, very. Uh, very devoted uh, to the improvement of health and other things. So I started thinking about changing directions and going into medical school. If I had done that, I would have done it in probably 1973. That's when I was thinking about it. That would be three years after I came to Texas. and. Um, the, uh, let's see. The thing that I that I really was attracted to was medicine, and I I had taken chemistry through two semesters of organic. I'd taken physics. I'd taken biology. Of course, I'd taken a lot of math. I took two semesters of organic chemistry. So I was really in a position, if I wanted to go to medical school, I don't think it would have been hard. I'm not sure what I would have had to take as a fill-in course. So uh, I started looking around and my family were here uh, visiting and we talked a lot about it. And my, my father and mother rode with me down, Nikki and I, went down to San Antonio and looked around the medical school. It seemed to be one of the schools in the UT system, medical system, that uh, that would consider older candidates. At that time, in 1973, I was 31. And uh, I know there were medical schools around that it wouldn't take you. Wow. Uh, but I never applied. I, I thought seriously about it. I talked to people. I talked to people like Ed Floyd, uh, my advisor at grad school, and one of the best uh, I was involved with. I think he was really encouraging me to, to do what I thought would be satisfying and what you thought would be valuable. So. Uh, I guess it was 1974 that I got promoted and got tenure, but that was a, that was a, an interesting challenge because I, I was also kind of interested in mathematical biology, mathematical ideas, and you might you probably we probably talked about some of that in the, the uh, seminar you were in. That we talked about we probably had some some things there that were more a little bit more mathematical mathematically oriented. But uh, that uh, when I was in 1973, uh, I uh, I really wanted to do something to help the help the people that uh, I felt like were being left behind. But uh, I think that uh, 
I managed to get it into my system that it's okay to do this in math, that you can do things that are helpful to people, that you can serve the interest of the uh, academic community and the country and so on. So I was, I was able to be very more, much more comfortable in uh, in uh, the academic role I was in, as opposed to switching to medicine. You used your interests and desires to, uh, I guess, be more engaged with helping the community and helping students to get into student affairs and first starting in the College of Natural Sciences um, as an associate dean and then going into vice president for student affairs. Um, Can you talk to us about uh, what the biggest challenges were in those more administrative roles? Yeah, Uh, that's a good question because uh, I didn't have any notion of going into student affairs when I was an undergraduate, when I was a graduate student, when I was at Princeton in the first few years when I was here. I never really thought about the possibility that I would go in a slightly different direction. Uh, So uh, I was sitting here, it wasn't this desk, but it was this room. And I, I basically worked my way into advising students and the, uh, the students in some cases just needed some guidance, need to, need to know what's a good course to take or things like that, or, or some of them might, might have some real challenging things to deal with. So uh, I was approached by uh, Bill Cunningham, who was president of, of the university at that time. I had worked with him some in the various things that I was doing through the advising, um, but uh, Bill wanted me to come and be his vice president for student affairs. Bill's faculty member in business. He was dean of the College of Business, he was president of the university. He asked me to go to lunch one day and, and uh, I had a feeling it might be because there was an opening and uh, the vice president for student affairs. And so uh, he was very direct in saying that he wanted me to come and be his vice president for student affairs. And we talked about it over lunch. And uh, when we uh, got to, got through with lunch, I said, well, let me think about it and uh, I'll tell you tomorrow. So there was a really, brief recruitment uh, and uh, so I went to uh, I went to uh, the tower took on the job of vice president for student affairs and one of the things that I really liked about it was that you had all of these things that you could do for students uh, you know admissions financial aid uh, housing and food counseling health the health center, recreational sports, all of those things were ways that you could be involved with the activities of students and you could give some support, build up those programs, do things like uh, 
I decided I wanted to have an honors residence hall. And uh, that was a bit of a challenge, but we didn't really have any trouble getting it done. Uh, the uh, same sort of thing happened in other areas. Uh, we uh, developed a not, not the uh, Dean Scholar Program, which is somewhat like the honors program you were in. Yours was not Dean Scholars, right? It was right, a, I was in the Polymathic Scholars Program. Yeah, yeah. so uh, um, I, I enjoyed the, the, the uh, uh, I really in, in, enjoyed the interaction with the people in student affairs. Some of them I still see once a week or more often uh, on campus. People that uh, you know, we had we worked together to build residence halls uh, like San Jacinto and uh, uh, several others like that. Building programs, uh, things like the freshman reading roundup. I don't know if you know anything about that, but that was one of the things we started uh, that, that, I, that I was in charge of. And, and we also had a, uh, another one that was uh, 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 the yeah, freshman uh, interest groups. Figs, the yes. figs. It was mm -hmm. That's what I'm trying to think of. Figs were. Uh, popular at a couple of more universities around the country. One was Missouri, I believe, and other. We put together a program that would give students a better atmosphere for adjusting into the life of the university. And I've, I've been de delighted with what happened. I mean, I think that the students, for the most part, have been very pleased. Uh, we put together uh, figs in virtually every department or every college so yeah those freshman interest groups and the freshman reading roundups are really great place for students to start making connections with other students and with faculty right when yeah. they got to campus Absolutely. and making friends and um, getting a, a taste of what it's like to build yeah. yourself um, in a new space. Yeah, very true. And I, I'm, I'm delighted with it. I, I, I know a lot of students as a result. And they've, been, they've been very responsive. And uh, I think it's, yeah, I look around and think, well, what, what, what other things can we do that would help like that? And we, here and there, we've done some prog other programs on a smaller scale. I think those two are probably bigger scale. The freshman reading round, of course, is only one day. You, you read a book, but you come in and discuss it uh, the day before classes start. Uh, on the other hand, figs are all over the place, and, uh, uh, and I've been delighted with that. Uh, encouraging students to be uh, abroad travel, to explore, uh, that's, a, that's been fun to watch. And uh, you like traveling too, you and your yeah. wife. 
Yeah, we just came back uh, from uh, about three weeks ago, I guess, from Spain and Portugal. And uh, we're going to leave Thursday and go up to North Carolina, I mean, to uh, Colorado. And then uh, sometime in the early fall, we're going to go to uh, Arizona. So these are, these are uh, adventures. Since retiring from UT Austin, what's next for you in life? Well, one, one of the things that I would like to do is uh, I would like to do more writing. Uh, I like to write poems. In some cases, they're short. In some cases, they're short. They're not short. I think I showed you this one, didn't I? Uh, this is a, a, a collection of my poems that uh, span a period of years. And it's a, uh, it's something that I really enjoyed putting together. Um, I would like to do more of that. I've done other things. I've written a novel that I don't think anybody's real crazy about, but it was uh, something that was on my mind a lot. So I, uh, I managed to, uh, to put it together and uh, it's now available, but um, I've got some other poems that I'm working on, but this trip that we took to uh, uh, Spain and Portugal, uh, I was going to write a poem about that. My last question to you is to ask what advice you would like to share with younger generations? Well, I would say be ambitious about what you feel you can do. Uh, there are things that are out of reach. I would have liked to have been a professional baseball player, but I'm not. <laughs> uh, you know, I would have liked to have written a screenplay for, uh, for a novel, but I, I haven't. I don't have any talent for screenplays, but uh, yeah, there, there there are things like that, that that it may sound kind of strange. And why do you want to do that? And part of it is because it's it's a challenge. Part of it's because because it's fun. Uh, and, uh, and part of it is it, it captures some history of your past that uh, you know, I can hand that book to my grandson or my granddaughter and let them decide what they want to do with it. Uh, I got another book. Did, did I tell you that? Yes, you showed that to me. My grandfather? Yes, you, you showed that. You talked about that to me. I talked about it. Yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's uh, yeah. uh, another thing that could be could be explored, but uh, I, I mean, I, I'm happy with that because it's something that my grandfather wrote and something that he was proud of and I was able to more or less save it from uh, whatever was out there that was going to 
take over after I'm gone. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I think it's going to be a, an interesting thing to see if anybody else has any interest in doing something with it. My, my, uh, I've got a fairly big family. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a beautiful way to collect memories and to hand those down to your yeah. kids, to your grandkids, and capture the history of your family. Right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Vic, for joining us. Hi, listeners. Thank you for joining me as I interviewed Dr. James Vick. One thing that struck me about Dr. Vick during the multiple times that we met uh, to prepare for this interview was how curious he was to get to know me and my experience as a student at UT Austin, my goals in my career. Um, so many things that just pointed to the fact that he is very willing to get to know his students and also very eager to learn from them. So I really appreciated that about Dr. Vic and the generosity that he showed to record this interview. If you have any suggestions of someone that I should contact for an interview, please email me at conversationswitheldersgmail.com. at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram page where you can find a picture of the interviewee as well as a brief description of the podcast interview and a link to the show. The podcast uh, Instagram page can be found at Conversations with Elders ATX. Thank you for listening and I look forward to hearing from you and I look forward to sharing with you more stories in the future. Have a good one. Bye.